Gentlemen, you are both drunk on cosmic wine. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Mark Sylvester. And I'm Dr. Richard Schulman. This, this is All Psych. We are officially live on tape, hailing all the way from the internet. But I have a very special co-host guest I'm excited to introduce. I have stalked you for a while, Dr. Hart. I've threatened to move up uh, to Tennessee um, <laughs> to, to gain expertise from your wisdom. Uh, I referred patients up there because you are, I think, the very best at what you do. Thank but uh, most people would describe you as a, a chiropractor, functional naturopath. Um, I would describe you as a healer uh, because of your unique style, the way that you think big picture, even for a holistic doc, and the general approach that you take with patients that not only helps heal them, but also makes them feel safe and comfortable in your care. So it's an honor and a privilege to welcome you, Dr. Martin Hart. I want some applause from the gallery. Oh, <laughs> right, we're going right. to get applause for next time, but be a little applause meter. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for having me. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Uh, it's been awesome getting to work with you with different patients and clients. It's been a fantastic one-two punch, uh, for me and my clientele, my patient base uh, working with you. And so I'm so glad to be on the, on the podcast with you, hosting it and, you know, giving out some great information together. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, the topic we're going to talk about is an area of particular interest and expertise in you. Um, mainly, we're going to scratch the surface of mold and Lyme disease, because these are two illnesses I know you see all the time. There are two illnesses that the Western model struggles to have mastered curing. And it's particularly uh, disconcerting that these patients suffer to a, to a degree that's really hard to put into words. It's not like living with diabetes or, or psoriasis. This changes their life. It affects their ability to do some of the most basic tax, tasks. I've had patients that literally have told me, if the house caught on fire, I would not be able to get out. I'm so weak. And it's stunning to me that so many doctors will just say, I don't know what to do with, with you. It's all in your head or, you know, more antibiotics, more antibiotics, more antibiotics. At yeah. what point in your career did you say, you know what, I'm not buying this model I want to help people and I'm going to discover how to do that. Yeah, definitely a, a decade plus ago, it got to the point where it's it like you're looking at the system and you're going, the standard you're taught is not working for most of these folks. It's not. And so you've, at that point as a practitioner, you've got two options. You can keep hammering away at the standard and just telling the patient it's their fault, which to me, I can look somebody straight in the eye and do that. Right. So one of my kind of my living philosophies is a question, is that true? And if I'm yelling at them all the time that it's in their head, 
I got to start asking at some point, is that true? Which I've never done, but that's your one choice. Or the other choice is say, my standard is broken. Let me figure out a new standard. And that's the path I took. Let me, let me figure out a different way of, of uh, not just working with these folks, but like you said, their lives get turned upside down. It's like they're living in an alternate reality sometimes for decades until somebody comes along and helps them. And so um, you're not just helping them heal, but you're, you're changing their life. And so you gotta, you gotta change the model to do that. And this model's pretty well established. I would say naturopaths have come really leaps and bounds since the 90s. And they do something that I can relate to because many of our viewers know I was an engineer before a doctor and I see the world through an engineering lens. I approach problems through an engineering lens. And I approach systems like our body, our behavior, our mind uh, as a part of a bigger whole. It happens to be a whole that is innately wise and is programmed to heal itself. And a lot of times you see these interventions where we're trying to essentially say we know better than Mother Nature. Or, hey, Mother Nature's not working right here. You know, this whole menopause thing was you know, must have got lazy there. So let's give you some, yeah, some replacement hormones. And it really was appalling early in my career as well, how few people I could help based on all that shiny knowledge and education that I got. And if you ask why, you get a million more questions. Uh, fair enough. I was just going to ask what sparked it, but okay, we don't, we don't need a can of worms. Was there, yeah. is there, is there, um, what would you say was the, the first thing you started looking into when you switched away from your previous model to kind of your current mindset, which I love systems thinking is, is really where it's at, but what, what was the first thing you started studying? Um, probably, I mean, it's interesting. My whole life I've been left brain. I still left brain, although I've evolved the right brain. But one thing that shaped me very early on was I had a near death experience when I was about six years old. And so I, one, they told my family, they didn't know if I was going to wake up again. They had no clue when, because I, I had been in, in a coma. Um, but when I came out and I was talking about all of these things that I saw during my core NDE, uh, they didn't really know what to do with that. They said, well, that's probably an hallucination. That's cute. That was a very important experience for me. And it was, that was probably the first time when I really felt like Western medicine wrote me off, wasn't listening to me. Um, I had another serious injury when I was 17 that was misdiagnosed that made me lose more faith. So I think it came in stages when I saw a lot of the pitfalls uh, well before I entered medical school. And then in medical school, they even tell you, hey, we've got good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is 10% of what we taught you last year is wrong. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's the good news? What's the bad news? The bad news is we don't know which 10%. Oh, oh man. That's and that answer. stuck with me. That yeah. made me, like, you're admitting that you much of this is wrong, but we don't know what and it's going to flush out. So always kind of keep an open mind, see if things make sense, understand the physiology, ask questions, and you do get to the heart of people's problems. 
Um, and then, you know, first day of practice, when you're realizing it, it's very algorithmic, well, if they have this, then give them that. They check boxes for depression, give them this antidepressant. Yeah. I didn't feel right. But more importantly, you just don't see people getting better. And that is when I changed. Yeah, with your problem-solving brain you had from engineering, that was never going to fit for you, I bet. No, and I couldn't go to sleep at night and feel good about not helping 70% of the people I come into contact with. So as I opened up the repertoire and I kind of discovered the holistic world, functional, integrative, whatever we're going to call it next week, um, these providers by design want to know why. They want to understand the how. They want to see the big picture. And that's why they get such great results. That's why they help people when no one else can. You know, the the Western model fails. Um, It's really listening to the body, paying attention to it, tying all these symptoms together, uh, and then looking for the root cause of the problem was when I was, I'm never going back. That's when I was sold. Yeah, burn the boats. Yep, burn the boats. Uh, I had other interactions like that, but uh, many of them helped shape me. And, you know, being worried about your um, your uh, reputation was, was a consideration. I think you and I had talked about that when we were young and coming out and wanting to establish reputation. Like, oh, I don't want to deviate too far from the medical narrative. And uh, you, you get to that point where you're like, I want to help people. That's more important than anything. And I need to learn more than what I've been given. Yeah, you know, it's really at that point, the doctor just becomes the, it's just the foundation. It's the baseline. If you're just riding on that, you're not doing enough. Yeah. And lo and behold, you, it's fascinating. You know, that's this journey of discovery. It's understanding the why the pathology happens kind of what we thought probably medical school was supposed to be. Yeah. And I quickly realized it wasn't. And that was very disconcerting. So it's a vindication to me that I've come full circle that if I understand the pathophysiology of mold, um, how, you know, how it affects the body, why it affects the body, what else can it do? Like run in packs with metals then you get this holistic, this all-encompassing treatment and approach that uh, changes people's lives. And that's why I got into this field. That's why you're so good at what you do. Plus, you're, you're, you're very compassionate. Um, you're very professional. You're very well educated down this, um, this path. And all your patients know that, that you truly care. And that's sad that that's a dying breed or, or missing from our healthcare world. Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, in my head, whenever I'm working on training other doctors, my, my viewpoint on it is if you want to be a master clinician, you got to mix the systems thinking, right? The holistic viewpoint, like really understanding the systems, the engineering viewpoint with, with the passion and compassion. Because if, when you have the care and the connection with the patient with a good approach, it's, it's hard to lose, you know, it's, and not even just from a, getting a patient totally better perspective, but of providing true care. You know, when somebody says, I care, you're caring about them. You're actively caring. It's not just the treatment or the protocol you're giving them, but it's how it's the approach you take. And so, yeah, I love chatting about that with you. Um, 
because it's, I think it's something we both do. I know the, the patients we share speak highly of you. And I, I love that, that I can have somebody that I can collaborate with and have the conversations with, but who I also know is going to take care of the patients I send them. Yeah, again, I'm, I, my greatest regret is uh, we're not in the same state. <laughs> no, you're trying to talk me into Florida. We'll see. Maybe one day. No, but, you know, I've told people this is a center where, especially complex, you know, too complex for me, I know that I can send them to you and you will go through all of their, the diagnostic protocols and, and personalize a treatment protocol that's specific to that patient and really that that time. So they might not be as toxic three months on, let's say, mold uh, as they are right now, whereas they might be more toxic or discover something else uh, three months from now. You right. adapt and tailor make and personalize their treatment. And uh, that, that's a model that we're working to develop down here at the Mind Body Medicine of Florida. And truthfully, a lot of our models, it has been based off of, of your design, uh, your practice, and, and the previous practice as well, because it, it's, to me, it's the perfect vision of the future of what we want healthcare to be. We know healthcare has to be in order to change the world, really, change the practice in this country. Um, and another thing I really like about you is your open-mindedness to both Eastern and Western. I, I feel like there's a lot of bipolar or maybe polarization <laughs> and people are like, well, I don't trust Western medicine at all and, and, and vice versa. And uh, that same myopic thinking is kind of what got, you know, your primary uh, Western docs into a narrow set of skills so you you and I think very much alike and maybe that means I'm a little bit uh, self-absorbed and narcissistic <laughs> because I admire you so much um in the way that you approach things uh, and people and the uh, illnesses themselves treat them like people it's another thing that at least down in Florida a lot of people don't they just feel like they're a disease they walk into a sterile office and they get their symptoms uh, treated, but the physician makes them feel as if they're just a disease and not a human being. And a cold clinical approach. Ugh. Yeah. So let's dive right into your wisdom on mold. Uh, I don't want to say like, what is mold, but maybe a good introduction about where we find molds, where they came from, what they do, what what's good about them, what's bad about them, when do they become a clinical problem? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, I mean, mold is basically fungus, right? So you can think of mushrooms, but really the molds we're talking about is kind of like, you know, what you might find in an old loaf of bread. And so basically that bread starts to decay and it starts to grow mold. That mold is helping to break it down. And so we find that a lot of times you can, you can have two, two viewpoints on it, uh, or two approaches to it really quickly of there can be mold inside of us that is starting to break us down. We can have a mold infection, fungal infection, or we can have uh, an environmental, like your house is moldy. 
And mm -hmm. so that's, and that's usually showing up when there's something about your house that is breaking down. You know, you have water damage, water's coming in and it's damaging the wood or the structure. Mold is going to grow as that breakdown happens. Uh, and so typically it is from water damage, cold, damp environments that are getting watery, mold shows up. Uh, and so what that mold does is, is twofold. Uh, it can cause an infection, but more often it's releasing its own toxins. Every time it releases a little spores, like little mold seeds that want to grow somewhere else, they have toxins inside of them. And that's what really causes people to get sick a lot of times, those mold toxins, uh, also called mycotoxins. I think that's a pretty good primer to start with there. You want to add anything, Dr. Lester? Yeah, that there are some that molds have been around probably since the beginning of time. They're very necessary for not only decomposition, you know, mold is probably one of the most important things after we pass out of this vessel to break down the organics and to recycle it. But they also uh, have a symbiotic relationship with us on our skin, in our gut. We carry a lot of mold right here in our sinuses. Um, we can get mold infections of the skin when things get out of balance, but there, there is this symbiotic relationship. And a lot of times they can help free up nutrients. So they're there for a reason. It's just dysbiosis and other things we've talked about on this channel before is when it becomes a problem. If there's a, a hit to the immune system, there are typical molds and wouldn't, wouldn't you say they're region specific? Yeah, they tend to, you know, you'll find more different, like all the different types hit a different region more so, you know, maybe like a drier region in Arizona, actually you wouldn't think of it because it's so dry, but it, it mm -hmm. does grow a different type of mold than say Tennessee or Florida. Well, they're going to be way more damp. Yeah. So we might see a lot of aspergillus, a lot of candida, um, out west, what are some molds out there that we can think? Are more more uh, mycoplasma or molds that are more robust, I guess, to these non-humid environments? Yeah, we got to watch out for some of the different ones like Wallenia that grow that are can be nasty. You know, where we get some of the antibiotics, but penicillin uh, can actually cause uh, a decent amount of issues for people if you're sensitive to that one. So there's there's a massive wide variety and it, it does hit region specific um, and kind of what you're doing in those regions. You know, are you like in Arizona, for instance, they're running their air conditioners all the time. And so that's, that creates a secondary effect that interacts with that such a dry environment. That's a good breeding ground for mold, unfortunately. Do all molds release mycotoxins? Um, to some degree, technically, yes, but uh, they affect us differently. I should say um, there might be a few that don't, but for the most part they do, but some are more like more benign than others. Yeah. yeah and there's some that we routinely see and it's the bread and butter um, molds and or mycotoxins that, that come from them that we see uh, concurrent infections like aspergillus and candida or a candida overgrowth. A lot of people have had that at some point in their life. Um, you know, their Western doc might say, hey, stick out your tongue. Yeah, it looks a little white. Why don't you take this you know, nice hat and swish and swallow or whatever. But are they really understanding the big picture of the total body burden of mold and its mycotoxins? That's why they're not getting better, right? Yeah, I think, well, so 
you got, you know, you were talking so beautifully about the balance. How can we have a symbiotic relationship? And so you got to ask what, what, you know, number one, is there a mold toxicity burden? We have to detox the patient, not just kill it, but two, why is it there? You know, why is candida yeast fungus mm -hmm. showing up in the body? So you talked a little about heavy metals and that's kind of your, a great repertoire. I'll let you dive into that. But I've also seen um, where generally, if there's just a toxic burden in the body, you know, candida and yeast will overgrow to protect us. It's a buffer. And so if we just go killing it willy nilly, we're going to release mm -hmm. this huge toxic burden and huge inflammatory burden on the body that we can't handle. So when we say like, yeah, we want to take a systems view or a, a whole balanced view, a whole system view, for sure. We don't, you know, we don't want to see the first thing that's out of balance and just go for it, right? Um, what we want to do is say, okay, there's one. Now let's see where else. It's a trail that's giving us clues. Where are the rest of clues to solve the puzzle? And so, I, you know, I'll let you for a second rip on uh, heavy metals and candida uh, on that front, but just how often they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, well, let me bookmark that thought because we'll get to that. I, I was just generally going to say that the molds that do release the more, uh, we'll just say toxigenic uh, responses um, have mycotoxins, which are very good at causing inflammation. They're very good at weakening the immune system itself and or suppressing the immune system because so much more of the resources of the immune system are now going towards managing these mycotoxins, clearing, processing, um, inflammation, all of the work that the immune system does, uh, cytokine mobilization, uh, but they can also even reduce the effectiveness of the antimicrobial treatments because they dig in and they form something that's uh, almost like a super barrier. They, it's it, it, a mob mentality of mold toxicity, if you will, called a biofilm. And that's all, almost like treating a different beast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, at that point, it's basically like if you've got an army invading and they're just soldiers, you know, it's going to be easier to attack those guys. But if they suddenly come in with shields and tanks and barriers, it's so much harder. Uh, research is showing that uh, biofilms can almost make an antibiotic totally or antimicrobial totally inert, like at no effect, because it's just blocking it. And so uh, molds, candida, yeast, fungus, all of those, they're, they form this beautiful, it's, I mean, it's a neat to see, but it's hard on the patient, but this beautiful glue. That, that keeps the biofilm and the microbes inside just growing. And that's, uh, I think, why a lot of people suspect that they might have mold. Maybe they don't have a provider. They go on Amazon and they buy some, you know, anti-mold something, whether it's some proprietary blend some doctor came up with, or they just heard on the internet, like oregano or something might be good, or, or you know, an anti-Canada, let's say. They take it, maybe they take it religiously for three months and get nowhere. That's a perfect example of why, because the level of complexity of the mold matrix and the defense system of the mold itself uh, is going to require a higher intervention. So what do you do in situations like that to, to combat biofilms or more uh, dug in infections like the sinus itself? Yeah. So like, let's say they have like a, we'll just use a sinus as an example. They've got some biofilms 
in the sinuses. Uh, maybe they're, they're mold. And so number one, I would want to make sure all your drainage and detox pathways are open. If we start killing stuff, can you get it out? And then number two, I'll make sure that whatever microbes are around that we're addressing. So then I might do a light antimicrobial treatment for a little while. And then once I feel like we have those under control, then we're going to go in probably with some variations of, um, I'll use various essential oils that are biofilm penetrators, sometimes directly in a nasal spray. EDTA is a great biofilm buster. Um, enzymes, kind of like digestive enzymes, but we use a different version of them, proteolytic, uh, but they're just a protein enzyme and those will help break it down. And so when you use those plus antimicrobial treatment and you're detoxing with it, now you can really get that stuff moving that's just been layered on there. And did you say binders as well to try to encapsulate it while it's being escorted and processed out of the body? Oh, for sure. I always joke with patients that, you know, you can clean the house if it's dirty and you can just throw all the garbage on the floor and then you got to clean the floor up again. But instead, if we use a trash bag as we're cleaning, we can just take it out. That's like a binder. Your binder is your trash bag you're using, put all that garbage and toxins in there and then just carry it out to the dump. So you do something that I do with patients, uh, which, which I absolutely love. And you explain in metaphor and imagery because people get that. That's something that it's it, rather than explain really complex biochemistry that one, they don't care about, they, they don't really understand. You create a visualization and you help them understand what we're doing and why. That makes compliance go way up. Oh, yeah. Whereas you could be doing all the right stuff and saying, well, you got this and you got to take that. And they may leave there and be like, you know what? I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure if I'm buying what this guy's selling kind of thing. <laughs> if yeah. you, that's the perfect level of explanation. And it empowers the patient with the, with accurate knowledge on what they got, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it and and where they're going to end up and how they're going to be healed from this because it's nasty, right? Mold, wouldn't you say uh, mold toxicity, especially in complex cases with maybe concurrent metal or concurrent lime, may be contributing to half of their symptoms, their subjective symptoms. It's not to be trifled with. No, I think it's a, a lot of times it's a major rate limiting step, right? It's slowing every other treatment down. Um, and, you know, to kind of even talk about symptoms, I think a lot of people you know, when you, if you haven't dealt with it, you kind of think, well, it's going to give you some allergies and that's just scratching the surface. I've seen cases that dealt with mold and mold was giving them seizures, right? It was causing them like vitiligo and skin issues, um, massive gallbladder dysfunction, uh, destroying the gut lining. It'll just mess with the gut. I've even seen some cases where, especially if the fungus was like a biofilm, I had one particular case she had a fungal biofilm that had heavy metals in it that was hanging around uh, near like the brain tissue. And for where her- Where was that? It was hanging around the brain tissue, essentially. Wow. Okay. Uh, more so in the lymphatics, it would drain the cranium, but it was close enough that it was giving her basically mental health system uh, symptoms. She was mm -hmm. suicidal. She had massive anxiety, panic attacks. And once we cleared those levels down, you know, you had to work concurrently, like you're saying, we had to work on the heavy metals and the fungal uh, issues and the biofilms, all of a sudden, and sometimes if we, if we got the treatment just right, the screams and suicidal thoughts would stop instantly, mm -hmm. with, uh, like within 30 minutes of a dosage of a treatment. And so it's, it's incredible how widespread and systemic the symptoms 
of mold and fungus can be. You and I know that, um, and we believe that, and we've seen that clinically. Uh, I think the average person, that's a bit of a stretch. Like it, it's, it's new information to them because they haven't been educated in, in the Western model or their primary doesn't spend more than five minutes with them to explain this. They're not really trained to explain. My beef is the Greeks came up with the word physician, which means teacher, okay? So we need to be teaching, educating. And if you can't do that because the system and the demands and the blah, 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 find a new system as a provider. If you're feeling that way as a patient, find a new provider. Oh yeah. Because this is absolutely uh, critical that uh, people know exactly what they're doing why, and, and, and why, because the patient's visualization and healing, we believe is, is part of their, their success and outcome. We want them to, to visualize the biofilm being being busted up. We want them to understand, no, I'm feeling this way right now because of a die-off reaction. And he told me this would happen. And in two or three days, I might just feel a little bit sluggish, may want to take it a little bit easier. They're more compliant. They believe in what you're doing and they're going to be motivated to understand more and get to the finish line where they really truly restored their functioning. No doubt, the, you know, I, you, you said earlier about the, the stories and the metaphors, and that's, it really is for me, I, I love stories, I love the background. My wife always jokes, like, you may not know what song this band is singing, but you know about all their childhood and all that stuff, I love the background. And so, um, for me, an analogy I always give patients is, is Lord of the Rings, okay? There's Frodo, who's the hero of the story. That's the patient, they're the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. We just get to be the Gandalfs. We're there to help guide you. I might give you the magical sword, right? I might give you a treatment protocol. I might be in there bat- fighting the battle with you, right? You're going through a hard time. I'm with you there side by side. But ultimately, it's you, the patient, who's, who's the hero of the story. And so we need to work together as a team. It can't be me dictating this to you if you're going to be your own hero, right? And so like you're saying, that really needs to be a, a teaching moment, an empowerment moment, right? Educate, empower. And then that way, the two of you can actually create a better effect altogether. That's my, that's, I, I, uh, I get excited even thinking about it because it's the, you know, for me, it's more fun. For the patient, it's more engaging. They're yeah. more alive. They're more in control, have more freedom. And the results are better, hands down. Yeah, I couldn't agree more um, because they're nasty symptoms. I mean, we're still stuck on mold. We'll, we'll move on to Lyme here in a second. But some of the symptoms that you could feel with, with mycotoxins, uh, with mold overgrowth, overgrowth. Um, and they're not necessarily pathognomonic, but if, you know, some of the listeners are hearing like, well, geez, yeah, I do deal with a lot of this or a lot of that. That's the kind of thing you might want to go to your provider to investigate, but mycotoxins are certainly notorious for causing fatigue. Um, usually a pretty crushing fatigue. Yeah. Uh, debilitating headaches are are very very common a lot of mold is uh in this moist goo uh called our sinus yeah and it's well protected it's uh it's got the biofilm but very close to the brain in terms of affecting brain fog like you said seizures headaches you can get a lot of myalgias muscle pain arthritis joint pain 
Uh, you can even get nerve involvement with uh, numbness, tingling, uh, pain itself, nerve pain. You can get weakness where it's like hard to get up out of the chair. That's odd. I'm a young person. Why is this happening? Heart problems, heart arrhythmias. You touched on, and I'm so grateful, a lot of the psychiatric symptoms. So anxiety, antibiotics cause anxiety. And similarly, because of Herx, you know, die off, um, your, your primary care is never going to be telling you these are possible symptoms, but explaining that they are and why makes sense. So you do see anxiety, depression, irritability is very common. Um, sometimes after glutathione dose, if it's too high and you've mobilized, that patient will get very irritable, certainly delirious, certainly psychosis, um, certainly problems with thinking, attention, memory, language, computational stuff. Matter of fact, I think you have a, uh, I, I don't remember, it was on your website, uh, there was a test um, to uh, kind of assess that uh, functional component as mold being uh, responsible for interfering with that, which it's I thought was really kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a VSC test, the visual contrast. Yes. Uh, that you can do. That it's actually it's pretty affordable online. I'll try to make sure that we get a link up on the notes. Um, but it's it basically they've shown now in research uh, that it it tells you how much biotoxin load you have in your brain, how much mold toxin load. Um, it can and it also go with Lyme biotoxins in the brain, but it's actually very accurate, um, and you can use it to progress monitor progression of treatment. Yeah, and it is, and it's a dynamic way to really give you one more clue that that's what you're dealing with. Um, and you know, treatment-wise, of course, this is just a general comment. This isn't intended as as uh, you know medical advice for anybody watching. But your provider may do several things if they suspect mold. Um, what? Why don't I? kick off the most obvious and then you get into the PhD level uh, uh, interventions, but Hey, common things are common. If you got mold, get it out of there. Yeah. Remove the offending agent. So a lot of times providers don't do that. Even, even the holistic providers, you don't know the exposure source, whether that's occupational, whether that's in your environment, because you like hiking, whether that's uh, at home, like you said, a sick home, you got to identify the source, got to get it out of there, remove it, or else anything after that is kind of diminishing re returns. Yeah. Um, we did talk about binders being somewhat useful, and those are things like charcoal and bentonite and chitosan and uh, um, dealing with the inflammation. Why don't you, why don't you touch on that? Because we got to calm the mold-induced inflammation. How, what does that mean and how do you do it? Yeah, so, you know, chronic mold exposure and chronic mold toxicity, one of the, the medical diagnosis term is chronic inflammatory response syndrome, because basically every time that person is exposed to mold, they're having a massive inflammatory response, which again can affect the whole body. Uh, and so there's, there's various ways we can deal with that to bring that level down. But some, some really important ways that are standard across in treatment is you got to do the fish oil. Uh, and the fish oil is important for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's anti-inflammatory, especially for the brain, mm -hmm. but mold directly. So all of your cells are like 
kind of goo balls, if you will. And they have this, this fatty membrane around them. They've got like this butter around them. Well, mold disrupts that. And so the contents that are inside spill out, those cells die. Well, fish oil helps to heal that a bit. It's really important to heal that up. And so fish oil is going to be a big factor for the inflammation of, um, with mold. And then you can get a little more nitty gritty if you can tolerate it. You know, turmeric or curcumin is great. Um, just making sure you get your digestive enzymes in for, for uh, anti-inflammatory action is uh, fantastic because those are actually anti-inflammatory. And then I'll use some uh, cocktails of herbs, but very primarily if you're dealing with um, neuroinflammation with the mold, it's going to be skull cap. Hands down, I love that herb for anti-inflammatory aspects. And vitamin C, certainly, right? More in the liposomal um, forms. I mean, it depends on where you think bulk of this mold is going. If it's if we're trying to bust up mold in the sinuses, you might do silver lavage versus yeah. in the in the thrush, you might use a anti-mold product there. In the GI system, you might swallow vitamin C capsules. If you're looking at more penetration into the epithelium or other more difficult areas, liposomal uh, vitamin C, or I think uh, probably the most powerful bang for your proverbial buck here is high dose um, vitamin C intravenous because oh, yeah. it really can mop up the blood, get into the interstitium, really kind of work on a cellular uh, level out. And it's very toxic for mold. Yeah, for sure. That I've seen some uh, cases where they've had acute mold exposure. Like if they were, we were dealing with, we were cleaning up mold toxicity for them and they had an acute mold exposure. Maybe they stayed in a moldy hotel and they were kind of crashing. And I've mm. seen a bag of IV, uh, vitamin C IV, just bring them right back out of it. Because it is yeah. massively, you know, anti-inflammatory for the system, big old antioxidant to clean it up. You're right. And then I suppose the last thing we'll talk about mold um, is uh, certainly optimizing the gut, liver, gallbladder functions, like you were saying, because they're absolutely necessary to eliminate those toxins um, and keep the levels down as the immune system comes back up, yeah. then it can functionally do it on its own. Unless we're missing, let's say, co-occurring Lyme disease. <laughs> How's that for a segue? So let's okay. talk about Lyme disease uh, separately, uh, first, but, um, what is Lyme? Where does it come from? Why do I care about it? Why do, why do people worry about it? Or more importantly, should people in Florida know anything about Lyme? Yeah. So Lyme disease, uh, it's a bacterial infection by a bacteria called Borrelia, Borrelia burgdorferi, but there's actually other species that can cause it. Now they're finding Originally, it was found by a doctor up in Lyme, Connecticut. That's where its name comes from. Um, they were finding a bunch of kids getting randomly sick uh, with fevers, joint pain, headaches, which are the standard Lyme symptoms, uh, body aches. Um, but the problem with it is, is, you know, we thought it was, it was confined to the Northeast, the Northeast United States. Now research has shown it's in all 50 states. That means Alaska and Hawaii, too. And that means Florida, right? And so um, usually we find it's transferred by ticks, but they're now finding it can be transferred by mosquitoes. Uh, some of the Lyme and co-infections can be done by fleas, flea bites, um, spider bites can do it. 
research is showing it can be transferred both from mother to child in utero while she's pregnant, if she has active Lyme, or um, from uh, sexual partners. So like husband to wife or what have you, but sexual partners can transfer it through the body fluid. And so it's a little, they call it a spirochete shaped bacteria. It's a little too specific, but it's, it's got a corkscrew, which actually is a really big deal because it means it can travel around a little better. It, it really is mobile. Um, so I think that's a, that's a pretty good intro, but it's, it's pervasive. And what they're finding is, is there's over 300,000 new cases per year of Lyme disease. It is spreading so fast, much faster than we ever gave it credit for just even five years ago. It's moving like wildfire through the country and actually through the world. I get cases in from Europe and Australia um, coming in that uh, they're just sick with Lyme disease and they don't know what to do with it in their country yet either. Um, well, now that I'm sufficiently terrified, because there were a number of other things I was supposed to be terrified of, none of which we're allowed to say here if we ever. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I can't think. But um, symptomatic, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's similar to the symptoms you would get from a mold burden. So I guess a big question that I get a lot is, how do you differentiate symptomatically? I mean, we know in terms of the testing and the provider, I don't want to snow people with that, but what are some differences? I mean, from the very beginning, like one, you'd have a bite, right? Yeah. And, and then the classic bullseye rash may or may not be there. That That's kind of what I'm thinking. And then, you know, fever, maybe a fever in both. What are, what are some of the clinical differences that, people should know about? Yeah. So, you know, there's the rash and there's multiple rashes they're finding. So you can have the bullseye rash. Um, even a lot of Lyme cases get a lupus mimicking rash. That a lot of times actually um, Lyme gets misdiagnosed or lupus gets misdiagnosed uh, when it's actually Lyme disease mm. because of the way it can throw off the autoimmune markers. Um, so you can get multiple rashes and even uh, knuckle rashes. Um, I've seen a lot of those cases and that's in the literature as well, the research when they end up with rashes. So rashes tend to be a bigger factor. A lot of times I do find while you can have joint pain with mold, I find, uh, joint pain and the muscle aches to be a much bigger factor. They call it Lyme arthritis and Lyme disease. Um, and then the other big factors I find with mold is that the symptoms, both symptoms come and go, but I find mold symptoms come and go based on exposure. Whereas Lyme symptoms, I find more often come and go based on how much you overdo it. Or maybe how much you overwhelm your system trying to treat it can make them temporary. It's that whole, you got to retox to detox right. phenomenon. Um, exactly. And how long can you carry around mold and or Lyme? Oh, decades, decades, decades. As long as it has a place to reproduce or hang out. Um, you, you know, and it, the typical idea people say, oh, you know, there's no such thing as, as long, long-term Lyme disease. Well, the truth is, is I got to be a part of a, a research study where we found that it, it did hang out for decades, right? We found that people were still positive decades later after initial. Now the microbes are different. There's like the, the relapsing fever, Lyme type bugs, the Borrelia type infections that last a long time. Mold toxins just sit for years and years. I've had patients test positive for years. And so 
you know, don't necessarily buy in hook, line, and sinker of the idea that, oh, you've got it for 21 days and you're good. You know, it's, it'll be gone or maybe just around a two or antibiotics will be gone. That's not been my experience uh, with most, at least complex cases. And so it'll, it'll live as long as it can reproduce. And what's interesting is one thing it shares the common feature with is that the chronic long-term. So most people get this exposed to, let's say, the, 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 the spirochete, the Borrelia burgdorferi, they get that infection and then they clear it. Right. Most people do that. But we know that there are people that don't and they will carry it along chronically. Similar to mold. Really, if you get an acute mold exposure, a lot, most people will clear that if it's a single event and it's exogenous, they can clear that. Same thing with a heavy metal. You see where I'm going? There's a pattern here. Um, and there's this virus that we've been talking about for, for three years that has long hauler symptoms. Very, very similar between all of these illnesses because it shows an incomplete uh, ability of the body to completely eradicate the, um, the offending agent or the consequences of the offending agent. So anyone with any chronic illness should be seeing a functional doc to rule these in or out. Right, well, I think, you know, there's a, a beautiful analogy that, that blends in here of like, if you're just stuck in the purely Western model, those are like firefighters, right? So if your house is on fire, you want them to come in, you want them to chop your door down, and you want them to hose the whole place down regardless of consequences. You just want them to put out the fire. And that's great. That's what they're good at. But tomorrow, after the fire's out, you don't want to call the firefighters back up with their axes and fire hoses. You want to call the carpenters up. And the carpenter's going to take now, they're going to look at the whole picture and see what do we need to do to fix this house? What do we need to tear out? What do we need to repair? Because when that happens, when the next storm comes through, you want your house repaired fully structured. So when Lyme comes through, you don't want a house that's been damaged. You want a house that's been fully repaired and functional, right? So that storm is like Lyme disease coming in. Why can't they clear it? Because the foundation's messed up. And so you want a functional person who's going to take a look at it like a carpenter. And they're going to look at the whole thing and see what, does, what needs to be repaired in total. What all can we do to get this house totally functional and uh, livable again? Music to my ears, uh, because like I said, I love, I love analogies. It's a great way for people to understand more complex. It's a great way to create an image so that they'll remember this. Uh, so they truly are part of the healthcare team, you know, because a lot of times they just feel like they're being spoken at, treated like an illness, thrown pills in their general direction. They may even ask questions and the doctors don't want to answer them, don't know how to answer them, don't have time to answer them. Yeah. So the model, and again, I feel like you and I are, are um, maybe twins in different <laughs> states trying to do the same thing, trying to change the way that we assess and treat and heal folks. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a big task. But I think as time goes on, especially after what we've been through as a society in the last three years, a lot of people's attitudes have become a lot more open to uh, looking outside that classic Western model that has failed them. Yeah, it's breaking down. So I think they better open their eyes now. It's, there's no doubt uh, on that front. And it's, 
you know, as, as we look at it, even with Lyme disease, I think the key that we're seeing is you know, the general idea is, is bacterial infection, antibiotic, all done, right? And we, and as any Lyme patient out there knows, or if you're suspecting, you know, you're, you got some of the symptoms we're talking about, maybe you know, if your doctor gave you a two or three week course of antibiotics and you're still sick, mm-hmm. that it's so much more than killing the bacteria. You have to look, do I have heavy metals? Do I also have mold? Is there inflammation that Lyme disease is creating I need to deal with? Is there a gut issue that's really lowering my immune system, right? So how much of your immune system is really created in your gut? And so if you're dealing with mold, candida, yeast, other dysbiosis, leaky gut, it's going to be hard to heal from Lyme disease because your immune system is always handicapped, right? And so you really do have to take that approach and say, find a practitioner uh, like Dr. Sylvester and myself, we're going to say, hey, what else is going on here that's keeping you from getting better? You know, I know you have Lyme disease or I know you have mold for sure, but what else is keeping you from getting better from that that we need to also deal with on that front? And I think, um, I think a big one on that front is that Lyme disease is caused by a Borrelia infection, but it comes with a family of microbes a lot of times. Mm. So it might come with like a, a parasite like Babesia, which is a protozoa, mm-hmm. or it might come with, another bacteria called Bartonella, right? Or some of the different viruses like Epstein-Barr virus, which causes mono often comes uh, along that front or other viruses that pack in there. And so you have to be looking at more than just Borrelia. So somebody says, oh, my doctor did a Lyme disease test and it was negative. Right. I'd say, number one, what tests they run? You know, there's, you need to run multiple tests to see because it's sneaky. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we get time, I'll talk about that or maybe we might have to do that. I don't know, but um, also you need to test for the, the family of bacteria that come with it, because maybe your body, like you said, maybe even your body did clear the Borrelia, it cleared the Lyme disease, but it's still dealing with this other family and it feels about the same to you. Yeah. And not, um, you know, it, it's, that's that myopic nature it reminds me of one of my favorite horror movies, uh, Christine by Stephen King, where he gets that old beat up Plymouth Fury and first thing he does is put a brand new windshield wiper on the crack, <laughs> on you know the cracked windshield and the destroyed car and yeah. boy that does that that's a great analogy for um kind of how we try a western approach to to rebuild and restore it um yeah. so so you absolutely have to approach patients in that way um it was a good segue into heavy metals um briefly i just wanted to say what is your understanding about, you know, maybe this is a chicken and the egg question. Do you, is it important to know what set the ball, the illness ball in motion first? In other words, did they get Lyme, which then allowed mold to get out of control and then that attracted metals or, or is it heavy metal accumulation burden that then liberated EBV or, um, you know, stored viruses um, and then they have concurrent mold burden because Canada compensatorily loves to hang out and make buddies with mercury. Is it important to know the order of infection uh, for treatment? You know, I'm, I kind of said this earlier. I'm so fascinated with background stories and stories. I do try to figure it out because I do think it helps me uh, sort through kind of what ticked it off. But I think in the long run, as long as you know all the pieces to the puzzle and you have a good puzzle builder, a good practitioner, you can start to put it together even if you don't for sure know. But in my opinion and in my experience, if you miss out on that 
it could potentially be a booby trap later that gets you. Mm. Right. And so I see a ton of like, for instance, two big ones I've seen a ton of is, uh, actually we'll put them together is like amalgam fillings. Okay. And so, which is like has mercury and other heavy metals in them, but also causes dental infection. And so those folks maybe had those amalgam fillings for 20 years before they got sick mm -hmm. and then they got Lyme disease. And now they can't get better from the Lyme treatment until they deal with the heavy metal burden. They get the amalgams out and they do some heavy metal work, like the chelation work and detox you do. And so, um, and so on that front though, if we didn't recognize that we might be spinning our wheels forever in treatment until we recognize, Hey, really mercury load is what lowered your immune system enough that you could even get the, the Borrelia infection, the Lyme infection to begin with. And so we need to deal with that. And so when you, when you do know, at least in my opinion, the order, or at least, you know, the puzzle pieces, the treatment can actually become more comprehensive and therefore more effective. So in the case of the, of the metal, if you'd had Lyme in the past as a kid or whatever, um, do you see reactivation of Lyme? Like we definitely see reactivation of of mono, Epstein Barr, um, uh, varicella, chickenpox, uh, CMV, you see reactivation uh, of all these illnesses that, quite frankly, you should never see reactivated under normal circumstances. Does Lyme do the same thing? Oh, yeah. You know, for a lot of people, especially when they're kids and maybe they're somewhat more healthy, right, they'll get Lyme disease from a tick bite and their body will clear it. And the Lyme will go dormant. They could potentially live the rest of their lives and never have a problem. But then they get an amalgam feeling or they have a heavy metal exposure and it creates such a burden on the body that the body no longer can deal with that load. And uh, uh, well, like an analogy is like, maybe you've got a very small uh, crime problem in town, but it's so small that it's nobody's getting hurt, right? But uh, if the police force suddenly gets overburdened with this other issue, now that crime can flourish, right? Mm -hmm. Before it wasn't a big deal, but now there's suddenly murders happening because the police force is too busy. The body happens that same way. If we've got to suddenly deal with something that's so uber toxic like mercury or lead, for instance, or uranium, well, then suddenly there's no energy left to deal with the immune system and to deal with that Lyme. So Lyme says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to populate now. I'm going to come up and get mine. I'm going to get my food and grow. And so then the body's dealing with two things now. Now it's dealing with the burden of um, heavy metal toxicity and Lyme disease. And so as a practitioner, you got to be looking for whatever is triggering it one way or the other. Uh, that was a perfect explanation. I, I think that's very clear um, to our viewers. And I think viewers know this is why it's important to have a good functional medicine provider because they do understand all this plus they understand the science and the intervention so uh, a lot of people try to self-diagnose a lot of people like to go on the uh, on google or whatever and they like to look up symptoms or maybe they're convinced they got this that and then maybe they find a few like supplements or things that they can take um I would caution people against doing that for the reasons that you just said, because there's a much more bigger picture where it, there's a lot of interconnectedness, most of, most of which are counterintuitive, I think, to the average person. Like, what, what does this have to do with that? Right. So go see, my recommendation is to go see Dr. Hart, a beautiful new facility, 
I'm waiting for, no, you already gave me the invite up there. So I can't say I'm waiting for the invite, but when you get, a, you know, when you get to a place where you uh, want a visitor, I would love to come up and uh, see a new place and uh, refer, continue to refer to you our, our, our really complex cases, things that are above my head. Um, I can't thank you enough. It's an honor and a privilege to have you here. You give me hope and faith in humanity and medicine and that we're all going to be okay because we have people like you and I that care and know that this is the model that's going to help heal people, give their lives back. No doubt. Definitely get their, get their lives back. It's a big one. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation today. I love wrapping back and forth with you on these things and uh, love to have you up to Nashville, take you out to some country music or be down to Florida next time. I'll definitely hit you up because I love it. And, um, you know, just like you're saying, find your tribe because we're out there. Find your like-minded individuals, find your support team because um, that's, that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps the right direction. You know, even if the world is crumbling around us, when you have your tribe, it doesn't matter. The tribe is important, but it starts with you. Trust your gut, trust yourself. And I think you, you'll be led uh, when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So if you can't remember that, then go to keystonetotalhealth.com. <laughs> and we're going to have some uh, links below in the description as well. Um, Dr. Hart, thank you so much. I hope we can do a part two to this and maybe get a little more in depth, go down the rabbit hole for some of our more advanced listeners. Fist my arm. I'll make it happen. All right, you got it on tape. You got that? All right, we got that. There's not really anyone over there. I just do that. <laughs> so, all right, well then um, join us next time. We have a very uh, surprise guest. You'll just have to wait and see. Until then, be well. Thank you guys. Take care. <laughs>